This drama is not suitable for the young. The words did express doth nay reflecteth those of the players' employers. Was there ever a comedy as fatuous as one double feature and its two dudes? Welcome! Welcome everyone to Two Dudes, One Double Feature, the show in which two dudes talk two films, and that is about it. I am Dude One, Richard. And I'm Dude Two, Joe. And we got some fun and exciting things to talk about today, but first I must ask, as always, how are you, Dude Two? Um, I'm do you sp- do you like that by the way that like s- like follow up thing? Because I'm still sort of like contemplating whether or not I still need to be doing the second part of the intro. W- which part are you referring to? Like, like the, the like the we got exciting things to talk about. Like, do yeah, do you like that part? Matter. I mean, it's what you feel, man. Like, because that's always the most awkward part is to like transition after that. I don't know why, but it just <laughs> is. Yeah, well, but, you know, like forty some odd episodes later, we're still trying to figure out the kinks on this show, folks. We're just having fun. <laughs> yeah, that's all we're doing. That's all we can do anymore. But yeah, so you're doing good, then? You said fine? You doing fine? Yeah, yeah, I'm fine. The last couple of, I, I don't want to say weeks, it's more like week and a few days, I've taken a huge undertaking. Um, <laughs> I, this is a certain show, uh, the certain show from the 90s, Seinfeld, you might have heard of it. Wait, what's 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 Seinfeld again? Seinfeld is a show about nothing. Didn't you hear? Who wants to watch that? I mean, I'd rather watch that because that <laughs> means it's not you know about something, which means we can avoid. I don't want to name any call any movies out right. I'm trying to be positive. <laughs> <laughs> That's very nice of you. But no, I, I jokingly, I have I have heard of Seinfeld. I just want to make that clear. No, Richard knows what Seinfeld is. I'm keeping this in the episode, so Richard doesn't look like an idiot. <laughs> Which is, you know, typical anyway, so I guess I should be used to it by now. <laughs> Listen, like, how, how long has it been recording? I'm going to check this out right now. Um, two minutes. This is two, two <laughs> minutes. Seconds. We probably said some stupid stuff already, but Seinfeld, <laughs> long-running... <laughs> Long running show in the nineties. Jerry Seinfeld, Jason Alexander, uh, you know, Julia Louis Julie Louis Dreyfus. Uh Michael Richards, uh other people, Wayne Knight, like oh, a great, great show. I, I've decided to binge the whole thing. And I've had a, a number of observations about this because my mom's a huge Seinfeld fan. Like, it's one of those comfort food shows for her where if she's not in the best mood, she'll pop on Seinfeld. And after we had our uh, vaccine, she wasn't feeling great after dose two. Oh, so shout out to Patty. We were watching a couple a couple episodes. We watched Love like, you, Patty. The, the statue. We watched the statue. Um, and there was a couple. There was a couple other ones uh, that we watched, and they were really funny. And then I had a conversation with my coworkers about sitcoms, and funny enough, they weren't Seinfeld fans. And then another weird fun fact about Seinfeld to me is that the first episode I ever watched of Seinfeld was the last episode which if you've never that heard is wild actually it, it is is one of the most infamous 
infamous finales of all time. <laughs> but I am, just to update you on my progress, I am halfway through season four. And it's a sign of a great show because, like, I like to star the episodes that I know. Because I, I, at one point I want to do, like, a list of, like, my favorite episodes. And I, I like to star I like to star the ones that are my favorite, right? But after a while, I just kind of stopped. And I think that's the best sign for a show. Like, there are so many, even episodes that I, I I don't know if I would put as my favorites, are just, they're just so funny. Like, I was just watching one where they're, where, like, the airport... And like Jerry is, is Jerry's in first class. Elaine's in coach, and then Kramer and George have to get to the have to get to the right airport. <laughs> you see Kramer running on the on the runway. It's hysterical. Like it, it's just these people are so funny, <laughs> and it, it's just and it's also one of the few shows. I don't want to take up too much time with Seinfeld, but one of the few shows I can watch with my whole family, meaning my mom and my brother, because it's very hard for all three of us to maybe watch something. Like sometimes. Patty and I will watch something, my mom. Uh, Mike and I will watch something. Or, you know, Mike and Patty will watch something. Or we'll all just watch our own separate things. It's usually a pairing of two of you. It's never, like, every one of you in the no. same room. And it's great that all of us can enjoy this show. So, there, there is that. But um, other than that, not much else has been going on. I saw Mortal Kombat with Dr. Feehan and Mike. Yeah, that was a movie. <laughs> it happened i, I don't know, you know if you want to get into it too I'll, much I'll, say, don't have I'll it. say this as we as we like to say i always like to take a page out of your book people got paid which is cool and if you like the movie that's also cool i i wasn't particularly into it but if it was your thing i'm happy i'm happy you finally got your mortal Kombat movie that you wanted some of the stuff was cool some wasn't it, it wasn't my favorite movie but it's out there now uh, I had a good time with Dr. Feehan and Mike watching this movie. You know, we watch it from the com- we watch it from the comfort of our own home. How about you? What else is going on with you? Well, as of uh, let's say a week ago for me, but it'll be like a week ago. This well, a little over a week ago by this point, but uh, about a week ago, I was able to get my final shot of the Pfizer vaccine, and. Woo! My whole family have also gotten their final shots. So everybody is fully vaccinated. Did everybody get like different types of vaccines? Like what is, what, what, my, what is how does it, how does it break down? My parents got Moderna. My sister and I got Pfizer, but we, but my parents went to the same place. My sister and I went to two completely different places. Gotcha. So okay. keep going, keep going. I got mine on Saturday, last Saturday, and my mom got hers last Thursday. So not this coming Thursday, but next Thursday, um, everyone will have built up enough immunity, you know, antibodies and whatnot to, you know, technically be actually fully vaccinated. So it is very exciting. Um, I will say on that note, I think we're jumping the gun a little bit because my sister has a trip planned. My parents just told me they're going to Miami Beach in June, <laughs> which I'm nervous about that, obviously, but... They, they're vaccinated and they've been smart about a lot of things recently so i mean i had to yell at them like early on but um they got they got smart about a lot of stuff so it's it's just it is like you know exciting but also like they're kind of like jumping it and also you and i have talked about some possible trip stuff uh yeah for later in the year but i will say that we are jumping the, the gun a little bit um and on top of that 
like I've had my own like I, there's a lot of things I'm excited about, but there's also some nerves as well. And I've I've talked about this a little bit. And so to anyone that's listening, that sort of and I know we sort of joke about this a little bit, but if there's anybody listening that feels maybe pressure or or can't actively or necessarily right away reintegrate themselves because it's been a long time and we're sort of doing things a certain way um i completely and utterly sympathize and 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 relate wholeheartedly because even now like i'm still doing stuff that i was doing before i was vaccinated and there is still there is still stuff you still need to do because again we're in a pandemic and you know there's it's still possible to get sick but you know you have that shield now so it's not so much of a problem but the point is don't rush it you know whenever you feel comfortable is when you feel comfortable when you are ready to you know do whatever you like if you want to go to a restaurant later if you want to go see a movie or something you know, don't feel pressured to like start doing things immediately after getting vaccinated. And also, maybe just chill for a second <laughs> for for others. But you know, I just wanted to say that real quick. Uh, but you know, everyone in my house is fully vaccinated, so that's exciting. Other than that, uh, I actually ordered a bunch of stuff and pre-ordered a bunch of stuff, and all of it sort of came at once. <laughs> so I got like a couple of video games. I got. And I uh, got some movies that I've been wanting to watch. And I recently today got in the mail a movie that both you and I got, um, which is because uh, we talked about in the last episode how we're both members of the Disney Movie Club because of 20,000 Leagues. And um, it's the 20th anniversary this year. And so they released this uh, huge uh, Mickey Mouse uh, box set that has both Fantasia 1 and 2 or Fantasia 2000. And it has this thing called Celebrating Mickey that came out in 2018 that's got a bunch of uh, shorts on it, like Steamboat Willie, uh, the Through the Mirror, Mickey's Revival. I'm just reading whatever's on the back of here, so I don't know all these offhand. There, there's some good There's some good ones in there, um, though there, there's some I wish they included on that uh, release a couple years ago, but, you know, some good stuff. It's, it's cool that they were able to do this, and it's a cool way to celebrate the 20th anniversary. There is one thing on here that's kind of funny that I'll just briefly mention. Um, it's funny only in that the way it's structured, but it's it's I'm, I'm happy that it's there. Um, so this is a G-rated product, essentially. Though it does, it does acknowledge that um, one of the shorts is PG-13 and Fantasia 2000. I just noticed that. But... Um, it is uh, a content advisory warning on the back because, again, you know, we've been seeing a lot of older things getting these content advisories on streaming services because they were made in a different time and things were more approached differently, I guess you could say, and depicted differently. And so it's kind of it's kind of wild to see on a Blu-ray um, right above the G rating, actually, that it says um, content advisory stories matter. This program includes negative depictions or mistreatment of people or cultures. Rather than remove this content, we want to acknowledge its harmful impact and spark conversation to create a more inclusive future. So that is on the back of this thing. So that's pretty wild. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where, you know, it's interesting for a Disney movie to finally have something like that. Mm -hmm. I don't know if the older ones have already had warnings like that. Because I, I as, as you know, I collect a lot of older, you know, like the Looney Tunes cartoons. I got a lot of those on Blu-ray. And they have that little disclaimer that this is intended for the adult collector, you know. Yeah. This a lot of this stuff is not for kids, you know. It's not. It was not intended for children today, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So, 
um, it, it is interesting to see that, but I'm glad they're still putting it out. I yeah, think that's yeah. The, that's the important thing. I don't think you should just shut everything into a vault because, to me, that just makes it more sacred, and it ma- makes pe- more people just go, ooh. It just ooh. makes it makes it more curious. Like, why is this as bad as it is? I need to know what's going on here. I think it's just better to come out in front and just say, yeah, this was problematic. There's there's some things in here, <laughs> but there's also a lot of artistry and and things you have to appreciate. I mean, especially Fantasia. It's such a. I got to see it on the big screen a couple years ago, actually, for the 75th anniversary. Let me tell you, just just quite a production, top to bottom, as as far just as from an like artistic standpoint. And uh, yeah, we do have plans to talk about that movie. Hint, hint. In the future, and it but, might and it might coincide with something else I said previously. But again, I don't want to say too much. oh man connecting the dots uh do we have anything else we want to talk about or do we just want to get straight into this thing i think it's about time honestly so this 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 is and plus this episode i think has been delayed too much i think (laughs) i think it's fair to this episode to just like kind of punch through all that yeah that's true this is this is true so uh we uh we th- this this episode is themed uh to the works of a uh, one William Shakespeare who is uh, you know you might you might have heard of him you might have heard of this guy the very, bard the bard you know very famous writer you know so it, there there's probably you even if you haven't directly read a play or seen a play by William Shakespeare you probably have watched something that either was influenced by Shakespeare or quotes Shakespeare, it's everywhere. Everyone quotes him. Everyone uses his lang- the language. Um, you can't escape it. You can't. And guaranteed, I'll say guaranteed if you've seen any like late 90s, early 2000s romantic comedy, more than likely you've probably seen something adapted from Shakespeare. So but we're not talking about romantic comedies. No, we are not. In fact, especially this, especially this movie, it's as far... From a romantic comedy, as you can get, as far as these things are considered, it's it's very much in the more tragedy section of things. It's definitely not romantic or comedic. This first film we're talking about today is Akira Kurosawa's 1957 film Throne of Blood, or as Richard and others like to call it, <laughs> Spiderweb Castle. Spiderweb Castle. The original Japanese title. It's just a good. I don't know. I just I, I like Throne of Blood, but I I, I like Spiderweb Castle. I just think it's a cool title. But I I, I, I think they're both Spider-Web, cool. But Spiderweb Castle's fun. I think they're both cool, but I think Throne of Blood, especially because the play that Throne of Blood is inspired by, is a very thematically appropriate title because this is this is true. This of, is true. This is this is like the ja- the Japanese feudal feudal version of Shakespeare's Macbeth, which is. I believe one of his shortest plays, if not his shortest, and also, like, the bloodiest. From my research, I did literally 20 minutes ago. Um, it is one of his shorter plays. <laughs> I, I, I genuinely <laughs> wanted to prepare for this one, because between the two of us, Joey is a big Shakespeare guy and knows a lot more. Like, he got into Shakespeare, and he's actually, like, seen the stuff, and he's, like... Would you say it was because of Kenneth Branagh, ultimately, that you sort of got into Shakespeare, or was it sort of other things? I think Kenneth Branagh helped, because, you know, I I think think about things like his Hamlet, 
and I think about um, his adaptation of Henry V, which is just one of my favorite movies. Both of those are like two of my favorite movies, but and Much Ado About Nothing is great as well. And I'm like, oh, I'll, I'll check, I'll check these out, and they have huge casts. And the thing with Shakespeare is you have to see it performed. You know, when you read it and you're like, to me or not. To me, with your high school friends, and, and that's fine. You know what? Nobody wants to be at AP English at 10 a.m. in the morning. No one wants that. No this, one wants that. That was the best representation of a teenage student reading Macbeth I've ever heard. And, and, and then you have you have people who are just like, "Do I have to?" And they're dragging their heels, and you're like, "Come on!" <laughs> don't make this harder than it already is can i just Get read over your stage fright can, can i read the other side where it's where it's in normal words and not whatever this is no you can't um and, you and sure then you have some, <laughs> and then you have some people like I, I would almost say myself who just make it worse for everybody by like actually putting some effort into it <laughs> so I, I would put effort into like the role of like playing uh hamlet's dad and hamlet <laughs> Like no, actually, I want to be this part. I was Hamlet. I, I was got Hamlet it. and Claudius. Hamlet and Claudius. Excuse me. Uh, some some other kid w- was Hamlet, and it was hysterical when he read Hamlet. Uh, if he's listening to this, <laughs> you're a great guy. It's it was just funny. But no, Macbeth. <laughs> Macbeth. So for those of you who don't know Macbeth, this is a general gist. The this Scottish is, play. This is, this is like this is even cheaper than Spark Notes. Okay, this is more like. There's a sta- a bunch of matches in a corner. We don't even have a spark yet. We're like just, like this there. is this is literally just like laying it out. No, like listen, there's a, there's a dude and his buddy. They they just got into some battles, and they and they encounter a witch, a couple of witches, and they're like, "Hey, you want to you want to hear something cool?" And they're like, "What?" And they're like, "You, Macbeth, this guy, you're gonna be king." He's like, get out, and then he then he looks at his then they look at the friend. Um, what's the friend's name? Um, Bang Banquo. Banquo. They look at Banquo and they're like, and you want to know something else is cool? Your kids are gonna be king, and they're like, get out! What are you saying here? And then next thing they know, like things start happening, and then, um, uh, Macbeth starts like going. I, I kind of want this. And he's like getting kind of excited about it. And then you got Lady Macbeth just going, speed this up, huh? Go ahead. Just speed it up. I got, Just go ahead and kill him. What do you mean? Yeah. The, the, the king right now, go ahead and kill him. And then you can be king right now. I don't think I could do that. Yeah, you can. You know you can. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> then he kills him. And then like, and then like Lady Macbeth helps him frame him. By like making it seem like it was the the guards or whatever, and uh, then it just escalates from there. <laughs> really, it, it it escalates. A lot of lot of people die. A lot of people die in this. People trying to wash away their sins, that kind of deal. So Macbeth is often for a lot of people, and I and I think this is I if I had to guess from you, it is your favorite Shakespeare play. Okay, because it has that like exciting. That sort of visceral, or like with the adaptations, they're able to really like. I don't know. I, I want to hear your. I don't want to speak for you. I think. Sorry. I think. I think. No. No. You're fine. I think. I think that's pretty accurate because of of all the Shakespeare plays that I'm familiar with, which, I mean, I, I 
probably it's just Romeo and Juliet and, and Macbeth, really. <laughs> like, Hamlet, only because I, you know, watched a few videos here and there. But um, I would say that's probably my favorite amongst the ones I'm familiar with. I bet if I got more into it, I'd probably have more of a proper answer. But I think it's because I've seen other movies based on Macbeth. And this one especially because of it, because of the more like the way like the expression is like approach of the movie, but also just like the sort of themes of like power hungry people and like how power can like just drive you crazy and make you do stupid things and whatnot. So and also, I guess because, and I, and again, just doing research like 20 minutes ago, um, I guess this was written around the time Guy Fox was doing the gunpowder plot, which I didn't know. Oh. So I guess it was sort of like an inspiration because like, you know, there was a lot of like questioning when it came to like the king and stuff. Like, you know, how are you letting this happen? You know, this dude with a, with an amazing uh, goatee uh, come in <laughs> and uh, blow stuff up. Like, what are you doing? So I guess that was sort of an inspiration for it. So I thought that was kind of an interesting thing to learn. I know I'm kind of dragging that out, but like the 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 to answer your question, I would probably say at this point I'd say Macbeth is probably my favorite, just from the familiarity of it. But also it's an interesting, cool story. And you know what? What's actually cool about that is I, I, we're gonna get to the movie, but I want to talk briefly because Kenneth Branagh we mentioned obviously was a huge thing for me as far as Shakespeare. I actually got to see it was like a like a live like National Theater of London event uh, that they streamed where he uh, I think co-directed and starred as the titular character in a production of Macbeth in like this deconsecrated church Ooh. basically and uh, it was a, it was really it was really interesting um, I wish I, it would be really cool if he adapted um, a new like a new Shakespeare it'd be really uh, that'd be really cool if he did a Macbeth a Macbeth that'd be movie. pretty wild yeah um, I'd like to see him get back to some of that stuff because um when he when he's on his game a game, he's on his a game. And when he's not, he makes Artemis foul. <laughs> listen, listen to you kids out there talking about Artemis foul. Let us not forget Jack Ryan, Shadow Recruit. <laughs> I never thought I would and, be and, talking about and, a, a <laughs> Jack Ryan in relation to Throne of Blood. <laughs> In defense of that movie, I've never seen it, but Artemis Fowl was pretty bad. So, and you know what? I I wasn't a big fan of his Frankenstein movie, but that's a whole other thing. Listen, listen. You know what? Now I just I'm just tempted to throw in like a good Kenneth Branagh movie somewhere down the line in, in, in the schedule. I think I I think it's necessary. I I agree. I think because because I, I do like him. It's so. gonna be one of those episodes to indulge just me. <laughs> <laughs> that's all. Look, we, I'm down. I'm down. You you heard it here first, folks. I'm down. No, but but Throne of Blood it was made by director Akira Kurosawa, who I like to sort of connect with Shakespeare because Shakespeare, of course, is very the most influential writer ever. Like just ever. Like there's all there's like there's few that you could argue are up there, and even then, the average person would not be able to give you an answer because it's like who else? Like um, will, will they will it stand up? No. No, but Kurosawa, as far as like Western, like as far as movies, like, you know, made in Japan, but also, of course, Western cinema, perhaps the most influential like filmmaker for Western cinema outside of the United States. I mean, all you need to say is Hidden Fortress is basically Star Wars or Yojimbo like, is a fistful of dollars, which led into the rest of the dollars trilogy and 
all of those are masterpieces, and they spun off of Yojimbo, basically. So Kurosawa has certainly left his uh, his fingerprint on on cinema. He's a very influential figure. And him doing a Shakespeare adaptation, it's just great. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Um, um, definitely, like, we talked about this a little bit, I'm sure, when we talked about Seven Samurai. My, like, similar to Shakespeare, me and Akira Kurosawa just met this last year, more or less. Yeah. And uh, since then, just an update, uh, I've seen Seven Samurai. I've seen Hidden Fortress, because, of course, I'm, I like Star Wars, so it just makes sense to, you know. And then um, I saw Throne of Blood, but I actually ended up watching it before we did this episode, even though I knew we were planning on talking about it, because um, just to have another Kurosawa movie on here, A, uh, but I was just curious about it. And, uh, you know, the whole, like, Shakespeare connection and Macbeth specifically, because, again, I was more familiar with Macbeth more than the other Shakespeare works. And um, if I'm being honest, amongst the three movies I've seen so far, this one is probably my favorite. It, first off, it's not three hours, which, again, I love I love Seven Samurai, but that is a long movie. It is. It is. <laughs> but, no, I, I liked I liked the, the, the style of everything. It was very theatrical, like all everything that Kurosawa incorporates to it. And I remember you were mentioning how well he uses the frame and, like, everything he puts into the frame. Oh, yeah. And so just, like, the layout of everything in this movie is also just makes it that much more beautiful to look at so when you're watching the movie and you're seeing the way everything's framed you're just like enthralled by everything just like wow it makes me think of Zack Snyder's Justice League in the way that movie <laughs> is framed and, I, and, I, and I'm, I'm bringing up because I did like mm-hmm. I did like the, the Snyder cut yeah but a lot of people didn't like the way the movie was was had like the framing because it was not like a it was not a widescreen frame that like they're used to and I think a lot of that, I mean, there are a lot of shots where in Justice League it looks amazing. And sometimes, it, 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 sometimes in my opinion, it doesn't. But I think it really, you really have to be conscious of the choices that you're making. Yeah. And Kurosawa, Kurosawa is like a master of using it. Like, when you watch Seven Samurai, like, I, I think about a lot of the scenes where you have all of the characters in one shot. Usually in like a widescreen, they go be a big deal and it's like you'd have to like, no and they have them like tightly together and he's able to i think about oh man there's so many things i think about like the towards the end of the movie where it, it's just you have like the close-up of um toshiro mifune's like Macbeth character and in the background you see like his legions of soldiers and it'd be cool in widescreen but the way kurosawa frames it you know the close-up becomes more intimate if it almost feels like it from a different level has the same impact as it would if it was widescreen, I think. Yeah. Because, you know, it's not like it's taking away the scope of anything because you're still seeing like, wow, this is insane. Like you're still seeing it and maybe widescreen might make it bigger, but it, I feel like he uses the tools that he has and he uses them well. Yes. Another tool that Kurosawa uses, um, the weather and nature, the elements um kurosawa was a master on that note i didn't know they actually just used regular like along with some at ad- additions like regular like the actual fog of the area they were filming yeah because well they were i'm looking at this they were filmed around like mount fuji i think and like mm-hmm. the um the izu peninsula according to what i'm looking at okay that makes sense because 
like there's a lot of like great like fogs and smoke effects and everything that they put into the movie which obviously you can tell what's artificial and what's not but to some degree they they did use some of it that was actually just naturally there with some added on things and it just kind of was like that's pretty cool like they again use the tools that you got be smart about it and it was it was just a really kind of genius thing to do Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. But yeah, I mean, I feel like I haven't read or or watched a straight up Macbeth adaptation in a while, but I feel like this is pretty close, at least as far as like the basic structure of Macbeth, like the basic story beats are all there to uh to some some degree or another just with a lot right. of change character names and change i mean locale cha- change character names location time period because you know obviously scotland is not feudal japan but also uh i will say spoiler alert to mifune does not get his head chopped off though it doesn't mean that what does happen to him isn't like any less visceral or violent but even so like it's there's little changes here and there i didn't know the tree thing was in if i'm being honest because i wasn't as familiar with that part i didn't know the tree thing was actually in the original Macbeth. so like when the trees show up at the end i was like i thought that was just something cool that they put into the movie but i was like no it's in it's in Macbeth. so i'm like okay that's cool and, and i think a lot of adaptations have like different ways of like of like handling that tree thing it's been a while since i've seen the roman polanski um adaptation mm-hmm. that he that he did I, I almost want to rewatch it after this just to just to w- watch it overall and just to hear hear like the the shakespearean um the shakespearean text spoken you know what i mean the last one i the, i think the last one i saw was probably the the michael fassbender one that came out a couple years ago but i have actually never seen the roman polanski version so i might have to watch that one yeah i i'd recommend it honestly it, it's a really good it's a really good adaptation i think one of the big factors in this are your lead, are your two leads for um for uh, why she, the why shizus you know for you know why shizu mm-hmm. and then lady why shizu uh played by played by Toshiro Mifune is our Macbeth character and uh of course Isuzu, Isuzu Yamada as the uh, as you know lady Washizu Asagi who is the lady Macbeth and is creepy as all hell <laughs> yeah <laughs> you could say that <laughs> like dude like, more like more like absolutely terrifying <laughs> i mean it was just kind of like i had to look back as i was turning off the lights going upstairs i'm like is she there, there. <laughs> you just walk oh, past you just walk past a room in your in your house that like you can't see anything because there's no windows or anything and you're just like she's not gonna come out is she Please don't come out. Like Hollywood, make a movie about that. Oh, that's a that's a truly scary horror movie right there. <laughs> it's hor like one of the scariest shots of the whole movie. That's I think that's also part of the reason why I like the movie as much as I did because it sort of felt like a horror movie in a way at times. And like Lady Macbeth character, um, sort of really elevated that. Like anytime she sort of like shuffled across the floor and all you heard was like the scooting like the dragging of her outfit she was wearing on the wood and um like obviously she's not wearing shoes so she's gonna sound a lot sneakier so like that's the only sound you're gonna hear is the shuffling and then on top of that um she's so still and she's so like like she has the same expression on her face and so like and it's a very scary expression with like the makeup uh the way that it is 
And so, like, there's a specific moment, too, when she, like... Like the, the no uh, yes, theater. Yes, which was something that was heavily, like, used in the movie. Like, that style. Oh, yeah. And um, so, like, like I was saying, like, there's that scene when she, like, goes into a, a completely pitch black area <laughs> and she's gone, like, like that. She's, she's absolutely, like, disappeared. And then she comes back and then you're, like... <laughs> And she comes directly at the camera too, so it just makes it scarier. <laughs> and, and it's also, um, if I'm not mistaken, like, and I, I, again, that's this is also our like Western sensibilities, or like my Western sensibilities, sensibilities kicking in. Where I think she has the blackened teeth as well, um, if I'm not mistaken, which mm-hmm. is a traditional thing for for as I as far as I understand it for back then, but it was still. When you're like, a, like an audience watching it, like you're, st- that's another level to add to like the the uneasiness you get from this this character. Yeah. Well, even like like we were saying, like the no style, like the no theater that was incorporated into it. I mean, Kurosawa did that intentionally to add unease and to add. So like like even just the way they're sitting down, like in the like they were talking about like the the uh, bonus features on the Blu-ray there's like they're talking about like how they would sit down and how they would just sort of like slowly move down and they would like sit in a certain way which seemed unnatural and obviously would take your attention and you'd be like what's going on with that person so it would sort of like intentionally make you a bit nervous whenever you saw them and that's like kind of a genius way to approach that character and even just um the facial expressions looked kind of like the the masks that they wear mm. which is kind of like my because my understanding was mostly just like the kabuki stuff that i'd heard about right like kabuki theater mm-hmm. whereas this is a little bit different and so like when you see like even shira mafune's face or um uh, uh what's her what's her name i apologize uh, what's her name again um uh, isizu Isu, uh, sorry, Isuzu Yamada. I want to say Ishizu. <laughs> like, uh, Isuzu, right. Isuzu, uh, I believe is the name. <laughs> okay. But, like, with her as well, like, you know, they, they, they're the sort of makeup that was applied to their faces, and even just the way that they expressed themselves in their faces was very much to, you know, mirror sort of the kind of masks that you see from no style, like, theater. Mm-hmm. And... So it just kind of added a bit of an un, like a like a sort of a spiritual creepy sort of like uneasy vibe with some of these characters, and especially the spirit character, yes. who's like sort of like the the witch character of our of this version that just more or less plays like this ominous forest spirit that we see just like singing a song and moving this like string, and you're just like like I'm I'm incredibly intrigued when I saw that I'm like what is going to happen? <laughs> yeah, no, I'm just looking at, but one of the things too, um, with Macbeth, um, that is interesting is, cause you think about some Shakespeare plays where like the late, some, sometimes the lady roles and sometimes they're really good roles, but sometimes they're not great. Like you have, um, Henry V where, uh, I think he, he gets married to like the, the, like this, this, this prince, this French princess or whatever, and that's all she really does in the movie, I, if, as far as I remember. <laughs> or like sometimes they're just they're just not like they're just the wife. Sometimes they're just damsels or victims. In this, like women are like the catalyst, the plot. They're the ones that drive the story because you have the 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 uh, you know the three uh, the whatchamacallits, the um the the three witches you know the the wicked like those wicked sisters and um or in this case like you have the forest spirit. And 
those ladies, or in this case, she is the one who tells them, hey, this is what's going to happen with you guys. And then, and then it's not Macbeth who is the one push really pushing for all this. It's, it's the, it's Lady Macbeth. And it's kind of like that statement that you hear mm-hmm. behind every great man, there's a great woman. Or in this case, behind every uh, Toshiro Mifune, there's a really creepy lady! Or I, I also like the, um, um, to paraphrase uh, Harley Quinn from Birds of Prey, uh, behind every master criminal, there's a badass broad. There you go. I just like that line. <laughs> I, I, I think that's how I will describe um, Macbeth to any anybody I come across, honestly. Hell yeah! <laughs> if you behind every um, power hungry future king, there's a badass broad. <laughs> can we also can we also appreciate because you've seen three of his movies now? I mean, this is Kurosawa. But yes, like, you've seen t- three Toshiro Mifune movies, and they're all they're all such different characters. Like they are, they really are. He is terrific in all in all the movies that you. I mean, he's terrific in everything, but he's terrific especially. Seven Seven Samurais, Kikuchio, Hidden Fortress as as that as that general. I love him in that movie. It's so it's it's like Obi Wan and Han Solo <laughs> smash into a character with short shorts. It's glorious. And, and you know what? There's only so few people that could pull off some some short shorts action. And uh, you know, I think Toshiro Mifune had good legs. Yes. So I think. I think it definitely worked out for him. And then him uh. as as Macbeth in this one, it's a very different performance than the other two. With Seven Samurai, he's more of like the kind of comic relief character who is also like he's got somewhat like he's like he's like the tough guy. He's like the funny tough guy that's just like um like hey, you know, I don't need you guys. I know what I'm doing. I can and but at the end of the day like he's a good person. Like he tries to help and uh he's just it's it's a it's a very um interesting it, you know we've seen the character a few times but he does a great job with it and then in hidden fortress he is very much like you know like he has like the the wiseness of obi-wan kenobi with like the coolness of han solo and uh in short shorts showing off them legs <sighs> there you go he doesn't <laughs> skip leg day uh <laughs> but then in this movie he is he is wild. He's insane. You know, he's he's completely unhinged. Like, he does such a great job of conveying, um, even just in his face, even though he's, like, obviously, because of Kurosawa told him to, like, not expressing so much. But just the one expression he does makes him already seem somewhat unhinged. And then as he becomes more power-hungry, when you get towards the end of the movie, he's completely mad. And, you know, he's, like, he's to the point where, like, he was told one of the, like, he was already told that he was going to be king. So once that prophecy is true, he's told another one that sounds so outrageous, like trees walking. Psh, yeah. Come on. Come on. You're telling me what is going to take me down is walking trees. You don't know anything. And so he just becomes so overconfident with, with uh, his power that he's acquired through murder and lying and all the stuff. And also just, you know, being pushed by his his scary wife um <laughs> uh it just it it meets his downfall at the end and so like when we get to the scene like that great great scene when like he's getting shot by all those arrows which i didn't again i just from watching the bonus feature i guess they were stunt arrows but he was actually shot with arrows 
<laughs> that's insane. Yeah, like does it, like like he's worked with him so much, but I think Akira Kurosawa just hated him for something. Like like he was mad at him for something. I think they did. <laughs> I, I think they did have like a falling out, like years oh, years, years later. Um, if I'm not mistaken, I I I have to check up on that again. It's been a while since I've looked into it, but. Yeah, it, it, it's it's kind of wild. Can you imagine? Like, I'm just imagining <laughs> like modern modern day directors. Imagine like Damien Chazelle telling like Ryan Gosling, "You're gonna get shot at by a bunch of arrows." Uh, excuse me, what? We're gonna throw a bunch of saxophones at you. It's a dream sequence. Oh, okay. You're just so obsessed with jazz, so we, should, <laughs> we wanted to illustrate it by throwing saxophones at you. Uh, to, Are you okay with that? To, to quote um, Jerry F- Seinfeld's most famous um, post-Seinfeld project, project, you like jazz? <laughs> you like jazz? <laughs> <laughs> that would be the lead-in, too. It would be Jerry Seinfeld coming in as the B from B-movie, going, you like jazz? And then just throw the sacrifice. We're just giving you ideas now for movies. I'm just saying. <laughs> this is some se- this is magic right um, here. So, anyway. It, it, it's... And you also have, like, other, like, other Kurosawa players um, in, in the in this one. Um, you know, you got the wood, woodchop guy from uh, from Seven Samurai as, mm-hmm. as the Banquo character, Minaru uh, Chiaki. And uh, Takashi Shimura is also in this, um, you know... From Godzilla. From God, uh, also Godzilla, and he's he's in Hidden Fortress. He's in. I think he's in. I think more than Toshiro Mifune, um, as far as he's like the, he's like. I would you say he's like the Michael Caine to to a Kurosawa's Chris Nolan in a way, kinda. But you know what? I think also too. I think also like because earlier on Takashi Shimura was more of like the leading man, and then like okay. Seven Samurai feels like a transition point. Where it's like they were both like Mifune and Shimura were like the leads in that movie, you know, like right. you can't have one without the other. You need both of those guys. But as time yes. went on, Mifune became the lead. So actually, part of it makes me think of like Martin Scorsese, where like in the early Scorsese days. Oh, so like a De Niro versus DiCaprio thing. That's kind of how I look look at it. And somebody okay, makes, no, that makes sense. That makes sense. You know, even though like I think Takashi Shimura popped up in other stuff of his later, and you know, like I said, okay. like I think. Mufune's last, Mufune's last um, Kurosawa film, I think, was like '65, mid '60s in uh, in Redbeard, uh, which is a movie I still haven't seen yet because it doesn't have a Blu-ray. I mean, Criterion put out a Blu-ray. Get on, please. Get on that. I have it on DVD in my closet, but come on, no. So that that's that's how I view view that. So it's always fun to see, um, always fun to see those guys. And there's also other people um, from Seven Samurai that you see as like some of the soldiers, uh, some of the samurai. Right, um, yeah. In, in the piece, and there's a bunch of them I don't remember. I don't, you know, I don't feel like typing a bunch <laughs> of stuff, so I apologize. <laughs> he's he's got he's got a repertoire of cast members. I mean, yeah, that he, that he likes well, to work like with. like with any. That's like every director, like every director. I mean, we talked about this with um with Tim Burton. You know, when you have when you when you're a successful filmmaker and you you know what you you want as far as sensibilities, aesthetics. Mm-hmm. You work, tend to work with the same people over and over and over again. And Kurosawa was like that um, as as well. I mean, when you when you find a formula that works for you and is able to convey the best version of your vision and their work as well, then that why change that? Uh, you know, also because you were talking about Godzilla too, and this also relates to Shakespeare. 
1954, the most expensive Japanese film, I believe, was Seven Samurai, and that was later eclipsed by Godzilla, which was directed by Ishiro Honda. Ishiro Honda, I believe, was was like the uh, what's that? What's the term? Like not not se- second unit. There's like a no- I thought there was like another term for it, or like the assistant, like assistant director, Assi- assistant director, assistant director. He was like the assistant director with Kurosawa on another Shakespeare adaptation. Uh, I believe Ron. I think it was either Ron or Ka- Kagemusha. It was one of, the, one of those two. Like later on, much down. Da- like this is like the fifties. Like I'm talking about like like eighties. You know, oh, okay, much, right. much later, you know, but mm-hmm. and Ron is also a great movie. I highly recommend you check out Ron at some point. Is that is that in the Criterion Collection? It used to be, it used <sighs> to be, but it does have a Blu ray. It does have a Blu ray. There is okay, as long as, got, as long as it's got as long as there's a Blu ray, I'm okay. Yeah, there's a there's a Blu ray out there, and I think it, it's um, if you want go on Criterion Channel, I think it might be on there. I'm not sure. I'll okay, I'll figure that out. But point being. I just think Kurosawa and Shakespeare is such a delightful match. And as I've said before, you need to see Shakespeare performed. And as we talked about on our musical episode with Allison, it depends on the director on a lot of these things. Because we, it you're, really talk, does. you're talking about like some of the similarities and differences between what the what, that one recorded version of Sweeney Todd was versus the Tim Burton version. You know, mm-hmm. and things can just change drastically from performance to performance. Or the director wanting to make this thing more sympathetic, or make this less sympathetic, emphasis this, yeah. emphasize this point, and it just it just goes to show you that the Shakespeare, even if they're not doing like the the double double toil and double toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble. Joey, jo- jo- Joey, Joey, what? Joey, what? I'm getting scared. Stop it. <laughs> well. <laughs> Whatever, uh, whatever. Point, point being, <laughs> point, point being, with um, man, I lost my train of thought. Shoot, sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> I just want like, even if they're not quoting the direct Shakespearean text, you have the you have the storytelling, you have yes. the universal themes of these characters. And Macbeth is ultimately a story about unchecked ambition. Unchecked ambition and how that can like, it, it, I mean, it relates a lot also to like stuff we see in modern times as well. Just how power and the, the, the drive for power can, can really just, you know, show how like it could turn you, it, it can either turn you or show you how bad you are. That you, like especially in in the case of Macbeth, that he would be willing to to kill someone to gain that power that he was told that he possibly could get. Like someone someone tells him, "You can be king." His wife says, "You can be sooner if you kill the king," and he does it, and it doesn't work out for anyone. <laughs> well, on that note, I think we're gonna try to get the hell out of the spider web forest. And uh, find it's creepy. There's a dude here spinning things. I don't like it. I don't like the vibes either. But when we come back, we're gonna arrive in Africa. Stay tuned.
Welcome back to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. In our last segment, we talked about Macbeth adaptation of sorts, uh, Throne of Blood from Akira Kurosawa. Now, we are going to uh, another place. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's a Disney place. Uh, it's, um, there's rocks and stuff. There's cats. It's pretty wild. Um, yeah, uh, it's... Uh, the <laughs> It was, I, I just failed miserably going that way. No, <laughs> no we are talking about the uh, 1994 Disney classic, The Lion King. Remember what this podcast is. <gasps> Stop it. <laughs> Stop it, Joey! Oh, I shall practice my cut. I'm just... Ah! I'm just a boy. (laughs) That was very good. (laughs) I am going to save that audio clip and I will, oh man, all the things I will do. Do <laughs> <laughs> Oh my god. Pumba! Timon! Uh, Timon! Is it really okay to bully Richard about a word that he said on a podcast? Of course it is. We always gotta bully about a word he said on the podcast. What would you do? Come on, Pumba. Um the li- the, the Lion King. Um there's barely a need to explain this because I don't want to assume our audience has seen The Lion King, but this might be the one movie where it might be okay to assume that. I I mean, <laughs> even if you've never seen it, you had to have heard of it. I I I would be surprised to hear. I would be I wouldn't be surprised to hear if someone hasn't seen Lion King. I'd be surprised if someone hasn't heard of Lion King. Right. It, it's it's just it's one of those things, especially for people our age. You know, it's just one of those staples. Of those like Disney classics during that time period, especially that we grew up with, like it's a you know, it's a part of the like Disney Renaissance era with Little Mermaid, uh, Aladdin, but it sort of transcends above the rest of them in a way, uh, as for many people considered to be the greatest Disney animated movie of all time, and so like because of that, so many people talk about it. There's so much merchandise out there. There's a hit Broadway musical that even even if you've never seen the movie, you'll see that lion somewhere in Times Square or just in New York City. I mean, this is a prolific movie. So yeah, it, it's, it's it's safe to assume that it that it's something people have either seen or just know of. Well, I, and I think I, I was saying this to you once, like I think of it as like one of the closest things we have to like a modern day wizard of Oz, because yeah. it's one of the few movies that you can watch with the whole family. And, but it also, it, that you can watch with the whole family that the whole family could be satisfied with watching. Mm-hmm. Like you could get something in if you're three or 103, if you're middle age, if you're a teenager, if you're in college, there's just there's just something about the Lion King that tr- I feel like transcends so much. It's just it it speaks to so many different types of people, and it talks about something incredibly universal: life and death. 
And it does it in such a way that affects most everybody that watches it. And, and from a like an emotional point, some people more personally, but other just, you know, just again, how how well they tell the story to begin with. Like it's, it really hits you and it really does. It has something for everybody in it. You know, and it's got, it's got comedy. It's got great songs. It's, it's got some, some scary stuff, some tragic stuff. And, uh, quite similarly, uh, it's got, it's, it's got a lot of great going, great stuff going for it. Very similarly to, to the work of Mr. William Shakespeare. There's a weird transition, but it's true. <laughs> the one thing everybody likes to point out with this movie is that uh, that Lion King is Hamlet, because this is a story about um, a, a young lad um, who has to, you know, take up who has to who has to go against his uncle who usurped the throne, and there are some comedic relief characters like Timon and Pumbaa or Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. And there's like a guy, a, you know, a royal advisor who probably talks too much, Zazu and Polonius in um, Hamlet. Um, and then the evil uncle is Scar, or in Hamlet's case, Claudius. But there's also other Shakespeare things you could connect it to. Like, I think about the character of Henry V, who was once a young Prince Hal, who was a very reckless and irresponsible youth who hung out with Falstaff all the time. But then after a certain point, he had to grow up and become the king he was destined to be. And that that's kind of, I kind of look at, at, at Lion King as sort of like a mashup of those two stories, which I would probably say are my two favorite. Two of my favorite like stories are like the stories of Henry V when he's Prince Hal and becomes the king and then has to go through his trials. Like of, like of Shakespeare's stuff or just of in general? Of, like of, Shakespeare, of, of Shakespeare's stuff. Okay. Um, and then Hamlet, which is such, such a great, it's such a great thing, and uh, I think Mike would get a kick out of this episode because Mike had to take a whole Shakespeare class, and I had to like <laughs> we basically watched the Brana version, and I was like, kind of like, okay, this is what's going down right now. This is what they're basically saying in like each scene. <laughs> Did you guys have to like pause at parts and just go, okay, yes, this is what they're saying, and it was a, yeah. it was a, it was a multi day multi day process, um, as you would imagine it being because it's a four hour movie. That's long. It's long. <laughs> it's it's long. That's long. But, but going back to the Lion King, this is a very special film for Disney. I would say it is one among the crown jewels of Disney's empire. It's certainly at least as far as like success, as far as success and universal popularity, it's probably the peak of that Renaissance era. Because you know what came out the year after Pocahontas, and then I'm like, man, I never want to see a Disney movie again. But that's a whole other story. And my thoughts on Pocahontas are, <laughs> but then, are but then, documented. But I think. But then they came out with. Uh, is that Hunchback? Hunch, hunchback, which is good, which is good, but it's also like again afterwards. Afterwards, I'm just trying to say nothing ever quite reached like that sweet spot that Lion King. This did. is true. I agree. I think that's important I agree. to acknowledge. It's... Like you might not Lion King might not be your favorite. Okay, if Tarzan's your favorite, fine. I love Tarzan. Or like. If you like Hercules, oh, that's great. if you do like Pocahontas, and I don't know what to say for you, sorry, I just that's how I feel about that movie. Mulan, if you <laughs> like that, Mulan's great too. But like, as far as like everything, like the box office, the merchandise, the sheer popularity, it's one of those things where I remember in high, in like middle school or high school, right? Like when I, you you talk to a guy that was around my age, right? 
and they would say their three favorite movies would be The Dark Knight, The Godfather, and freaking Lion King. How many, like, animated movies can stand up there and be like, that's as good as The Godfather and The Dark Knight? <laughs> It's like it's like if you're if you're like the like a budding film guy and most of your like stuff was like stuff you grew up with or stuff that you watched recently or like the really popular like film community stuff like Godfather or Citizen Kane or any of that like those will probably more than likely be the three that you pick I think so that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> it's like you know I'm a big film guy you know I've seen The Dark Knight so many times Godfather is such a beautiful piece of cinema that I, I own every copy of and uh, <laughs> Lion King come on it's the only time Disney actually worked okay shut up <laughs> was that too mean that was um, I just got a, like a flashback and I just it's feeling like it's been, it's, I feel like I'm talking to somebody who is so insufferable <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> whatever. Point point being, whether you love it, whether you love Disney, whether you hate it, whatever, it doesn't matter. The sheer dollars and the sheer popularity of this movie just doesn't care what you think. It doesn't. That, no. That's the ultimate message of this. But within that success, what we've come to not we've come to find, because it makes it sound like we came up with a great revelation. We did. We just watched <laughs> we just watched a freaking Disney movie. It Lion King's a great movie. Like, there's no Joey, surprise. I, I, Joey, Joey, <laughs> I swear you're turning into a Seinfeld character right now. <laughs> What's the deal with Disney movies? <laughs> What's the deal with Lion King? It's you ever notice, Lion you ever notice everybody says, oh, I hate no. Disney movies, but I like Lion King, though. That was a good one. <laughs> Lion King will always be the exception, it seems. But, no, it is, regardless of that, it is, for us, I think, is a very good movie. We both very much enjoy The Lion King. Um, and uh, with its relation to Hamlet, I mean, that's how I never really thought of the Hamlet connection. Because, again, I, I didn't know a lot about Shakespeare. And, you know, even now, I know only so much. But there was definitely a point when you just started hearing people. I think it was when it when Lion King started becoming, like, really like popular and then people started to feel like it's overrated so they go it's just hamlet like it almost became like like a like a sting on it that it was hamlet-esque they're like oh, shit, it's just hamlet what makes it so great it's like well hamlet's a great story like when so. people like when people talked about avatar just said it was pocahontas <laughs> it's just like it's just pocahontas i'm like listen i'd probably watch this over pocahontas let's be honest <laughs> i'm just saying Oh man! Uh, but but the the, the first the first the first big thing with, with with Lion King that we really have to talk about is, man, two D animation is gorgeous. <laughs> oh my god! I mean, here's the thing: I I do think that some of the more modern animated movies with the three D animation and computer generated animation, I think, especially uh, with what Disney's been doing, I do think they do a good job. I'm not going to say that they don't because, you know, I look at like Moana or Zootopia or even Soul, which I mean, is Pixar, but still is in that ballpark. Like those, they look very good. Yeah. They're very well animated, great looking movies. But there's just something beautiful about 2D animation that it's just, it, it, it's maybe, maybe it makes us sound old, but we miss it. 
we miss it so much like the like just the you know the artistry like even just painted backgrounds um that were being animated on top over like man even like i i think about it too because whenever um dc releases their like newer uh animated movies you can kind of tell that it's computer done versus like you know maybe done on like a board or something and then animated like more traditionally not like cell animation like which is yeah King. like yeah. yeah and so it's just it it feels weird that it that it's sort of like less than i don't know it just feels like it's 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 being done at like in a certain way to maybe like my dog's barking again she, again she likes to show up in the podcast so it just it kind of bums you out whenever you watch those new ones and then you go back to watching something like the lion king and you're like this is beautiful man yeah and like when you when you're watching this movie, just that opening shot with the sun coming up, and we're go- and we go straight into you know obviously Circle of Life, which is one of the greatest songs ever, and we're seeing all those scenery shots of like the waterfalls of like the flamingos and like all the different uh, you know life on in Africa, like all the different animals, and you know just to, from the day we are like that it's. It from the from from the moment this movie starts, you're already like emotionally and in, just invested because you're just in awe by what you're seeing. Yeah, it's a lot of it is just how beautifully animated this movie is. I just think about like individual moments in that opening, like when you see the elephant, like and on its tusks, tusks. You see all the different kinds of birds that are on its tusks. Yes, or you see the gazelles like galloping uh, or prancing in like the smoke. You see, like, the mountains, and it's... And I think about the shot of, like, Zazu flying over around, like, the Pride Rock area, and, oh, man, it, it's it just also, like... <laughs> I think about the remake, too, and how it's that strived for more of, like, a realistic take on these characters, mm-hmm. and just how much watching that movie, I missed, like, the emotional, like, the mood lighting, and just, like... <laughs> just like personality you know it's just it it's i mean i'm sure we talked about it before but like it just is it's just a reminder that sometimes animated properties don't need a live action adaptation because it just worked perfectly in what it was doing why do we need another one right that's not to say that there aren't some of the live action adaptations that i've liked i have liked some of them i even love some of them that being said, some things just aren't meant to be live action. Lion King, I think, is probably one of the biggest examples of that. And we love John Favreau. Don't don't get us wrong on that. We are John Favreau fans uh, on this show. But that was definitely sort of a misstep, in, in our opinion. That technology, I am really intrigued to see like a, an original story use that like that technology mm-hmm. and like use that level of special effects i'm intrigued about that but trying to retread lion king it's like i don't need to see that honestly no like i remember seeing it in theaters and going i wasted so much time <laughs> there's really no reason for this to exist mm. like 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 you like with some of the other ones and i, I don't want to harp on this too much but with like some of the other um live action animated movies you can tell maybe they were trying to like modernize elements of it because of how it was done, you know, whatever the movie is, how it was done previously. So when they do 
approach certain things like i imagine when peter pan comes out which i love david lowry so i haven't really hated anything he's made so i'm excited to see what he does with peter pan but there's also that question of how is he going to approach you know the the you know the stuff with like the indian characters tiger Tiger lily and you know tiger tiger lily yes and so like i feel like a lot of these disney movies sort of take those things that were you know more problematic or more dated about the older movies and just change it up uh for for the more modern ones but then when you have lion king it's like there's there's nothing you really need to do differently uh, outside it's it's nothing i know i know some people have talked about like the way the hyenas were were treated in the in the original um the original film and just kind of like the dynamic of that i know that's one element people that people have mentioned but Mm -hmm. that's I don't think that's a reason to remake the Lion King. <laughs> that's it's pretty. No. It's, it's you know. I mean, if that if that is something, that's something. But at the same time, I again, it. I don't think that's a reason to, uh, either to to remake. Like there's especially with how cut and paste it felt. Yeah. So, yeah. but it's just like when you see that animation in that in the original movie, it's the expressions on everyone's face, the way that um the 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 manes on Mufasa and Simba just flow in the breeze the 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 lushness of the of the the sort of hangout area with Pumbaa Timon and and Simba when they're like kind of living their lives even just like oh in the in the scene when Ghost Mufasa like the clouds in the clouds shows up like come on um uh w- w- would now be a good time to talk about what everybody thinks about with this movie uh, what do you think? I mean, do you think it? <laughs> I, I don't. I, I I don't want to be like go like for it. Sim- go for I, it. I don't want to be like Simba and like avoid it. Um, you know, <laughs> I'm not trying to judge. Him. I'm not trying to. Judge him. <laughs> I'm not trying to be like Simba. And I was just funny. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, I come. I come from a perspective where I think I have a unique perspective on this. Um. So obviously the most famous thing about this movie, outside of the music, or the fact that you've probably owned this on VHS, is that Mufasa dies. Simba's dad dies. And we see Mm -hmm. the body. Scar succeeds in his mission and kills his brother and usurps the throne, right? Um, That scene alone is probably one of the most emotionally, like painful scenes to see like and especially in a disney movie like you know there's been death in disney movies before but like i think the cliche in disney movies is that they sort of fall to their death and then you just don't see what happens you're just like they're just gone like like i think of gaston falling off the castle and like you're pretty sure he's dead but you don't see his body but pretty sure he's dead um but then with mufasa it's sort of the it's sort of the reverse because with Mufasa, you know, he's the one falling off the cliff, and we see the impact of that, not just on Simba's face, but because we see Mufasa. And it's so heartbreaking. And it just and it shows that like Scar is probably one of like the more like intense villains in the whole like roster of Disney villains because he succeeds. He says, I, I this is my plan. He sings a whole song about it. And how we need to like be prepared, as he says, and he and it and it pays out. Like he he does it, and he becomes king. And it's 
incredibly and then especially when we get to the the scene when simba's there and, th- and that that like just harrowing like um sort of sad Hans zimmer music is playing and you know he's like nudging his dad telling him to wake up it's not happening and yeah. and then the only other person that shows up after that happens is scar and he looks at him and he says what have you done yeah and that's when you hate Scar. You want Scar to die. <laughs> sadly, I don't have as a unique perspective on that, but you do, sadly. Uh, for those of you who don't know, my, my, my father passed away when I was six years old. So it's been... This May This May uh, will be 21 years. Um, so I, I would say... I, I, I can say... I could probably say confidently... Maybe I was like a few years, like Simba's probably, you know, a young kid, single digits, whatever, you know, however old he is. I was probably maybe around that age, Um, you know, so, um, and I didn't have like a, like a a grand evil, like person that caused this to happen or anything like that. (laughs) Right. You you know, you'd still definitely just, just kind of feel that absence. But I also think too, that was part of a reason why I kind of, I don't want to say avoided this movie. Well, it kind of was also just harsh against... Put some movie. distance. Yeah, put some distance for a very long time because uh, it just it just felt such like a, like a visceral, you know, thing to it. Um, like, and you know, I also just think about Simba a lot when he grows up and, you know, he's... Uh, and it's completely understandable because he's like, he, he, in his mind, he's, you know, in his mind, he was completely manipulated and, you know... He's he's trying to just try to avoid that pain. He feels insane amounts of guilt because I mean, not that he needs to, but because his uncle was like, you know, you shouldn't have been doing this, and you know, you're the one that got your father killed, and it's it's so like heartbreaking to see that, and like even just like I know it leads into more comedic moment with Timon and Pumbaa's Pumbaa's introduction, but just to see him sort of like give up and just laying dead, like on the on the like uh like the plateau that we see him in and like the hot sun and like the kind of like that desert area it really just shows the impact of like not only just witnessing someone that you love dear near and dear but also um uh sorry my phone vibrated um but just seeing like the uh Mm. uh the impact of the guilt on his uh, from from believing that it was his fault that this incredibly horrific thing happened what makes it more impactful is that we get to know mufasa as a father and he is amazing like he like he's got all the best dad traits i mean you know he's funny but he's 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 tough when he has to be he's incredibly protective of simba especially when simba does something stupid um and you know, but he doesn't. He doesn't lash out. He 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 lets him know this was this is like this is dangerous. I was scared. I thought I would lose you, and and it all sort of brings it around to that conversation of of death. And you know, when Simba asks him, like, you know, are, we're going to be together forever, aren't we? And and he has to sort of, in a way, explain to him the truth that that's not going to happen. But that doesn't mean I won't always be with you. And that's, it's also like a crazy thing too, because like when you're a kid, you just think your parents are going to be around forever, right? Pa- parents and will be around at, forever. And at some point, you know, you're going to have to, 
you will have to bury your parents at some point, not to sound like incredibly grim, but you never expect it when you're like six years old, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just such an incredibly like just defining experience. And I also, again, like I think about older Simba and I'm like, I think, I, and, and like think about p- people saying to you, man, what are you doing with your life? What are you doing right now? Like, would he be okay? Would he be okay with this? And I kind of think of, I think about that some stuff I've done in my life sometimes. And I'm like, shit, how would he feel right now? And it's just mm-hmm. like, like, wow. So this is a tough one to watch. And so for a long time I was like, yeah, it's good, but it's overrated. You know? I do. I, I always thought that was kind of, kind of interesting. But again, before I, I think it was even before I knew much about you or knew that you had that, you know, unfortunate, um, that you lost your dad. But, um, uh, I, I remember like we were, I think we were talking about like Disney movies, like in our little group of people and you were like, yeah, Lion King, you know, it's all right. But like, when you understand where that, that comes from, then it's just like, okay, okay. I, like I get it. Like, like, I'm not like, it makes sense. I do want to talk about the music in this movie because it, it, it is, it, it's arguably one of the best, one of the best, like, like soundtracks, some of the best songs in any Disney movie. Even just the phrase "akuna matata" is is in like regular everyday dialogue. Like you know, like I still I I say "akuna matata." You know, I hear people say "akuna right. matata." Um, oh yeah, and it's oh yeah. I even remember like um, uh, Book of Mormon did a parody song called "Hasadika Ibawai," which is a hundred percent a parody song of "akuna matata," and it's kind of the same vein. Like it, you know, you know, F it kind of thing. Like like you were like you would describe Akuna Matata it's an effort song but yeah. it's a little bit more directed <laughs> I'll just say I'll just, I'll just yes. say that it's a little yeah. bit more directed oh, oh of course but um yeah, uh, of course. <laughs> but dude it's like but it's like it's one of those soundtracks where it's just like like you can't you can't argue with like somebody somebody could like tell me your favorite song in Lion King can you can you name one or like what you would say is your favorite I mean it's hard there's a lot of good ones I mean Circle of Life iconic um uh, Akuna Matata, I- iconic. Uh, I-, I can't wait to be king, or I just can't wait to be king, iconic. Even even the the luau, like you know, when Timon and Pupa sing the luau song when they're distracting the hyenas. Yes, that's amazing. I love um, I love that song. <laughs> um, I love I even just randomly when Sazu to start singing about the coconuts, like the coconut song, which is again some other thing. It's still just funny. Um, and I, oh my God, be prepared. Oh my God. Be prepared. That was probably one of the best, one of the best villain songs. That one's so, that one's probably my favorite if I had to pick one. I just love be prepared. And it's one of those things where it's like, I, I don't even know if I'd be able to argue personally for me, if I had to pick songs for the Lion King, I wouldn't pick anything that was in the movie. Interestingly enough, cause there, there's a lot of media, there's a lot of media related to Lion King, obviously. And there was, there was a CD released in the 90s called Rhythm of the Pride Lands, which I highly recommend you listen to. And uh, Le- Lebo M, um, who does ha- helps with a lot of, like, vocal arrangements and, like, the African choir stuff that's in Lion King. Like, a lot of the stuff that you hear in the, like, in the circle of life, that's him, you know. And okay, he has, like, cool. a cover of, the, he has a cover of The Lion Sleeps Tonight, which is my favorite version of that song. Definitely recommend listening to it. Um... And my so my favorite like Lion King Lion King song would be like He Lives in You, which is in like the Broadway version of this of of this story. It's also in the sequel Simba's Pride, 
And I think it's a great song that sort of encapsulates that like Mufasa, like Simba relationship, you know, and it's also even a a direct line in the movie where he, where Rafiki says he lives in you, which is a, is a great line. It's, it's, it is a great, it is a great line. Um, I mean, they're all, uh, all, and Elton John, Elton John, Tim Rice doing the songs. And we got, and we got to talk about that too. Cause like the fact that, cause we were talking about this as well, how crazy, like how crazy it is that when you think of Disney movie scores and like music, well, the musical part of it, like the only person that really comes to mind lately is Alan Menken because he does all of them more or less. And then periodically they'll get someone else. Like they got you know the Book of Mormon people to do uh, the Frozen movies. They got Lin Manuel Miranda to do Moana. But um, it's very rare, it seems to my knowledge, that you would see like a like a rock star or a pop star do the music for a Disney movie. But outside of maybe like um, Phil Collins who did Tarzan. I can't really think of most others because we were trying to, we were trying to figure this out the other day, but like Elton John, not only is he like a rock star that did a musical with Tim Rice, mind you. Um, but he sort of transcended most other people. I, in my opinion, anyway, like I would almost argue that I would probably listen to the Lion King soundtrack before I listen to the soundtracks of, any of the other Disney musicals, it's just it's the, like the music's so good. I think a lot of people would agree with you on that. I mean, it, and all, like the songs are so good. And Hans Zimmer, uh, with with the score, you know, with the, like the orchestral arrangement, the score, you know, like pre pre Nolan, blah, like Hans. Zimmer, I think it's some of way. his best work. <laughs> honestly, I think about like um, it really is. I think about it really. I is. think about when Simba. Like after Scar is defeated and the rain returns and Simba's taking his place at Pride Rock, Ooh. I've been listening la- last couple days, man. I get chills every <laughs> time I hear the every time I hear that track. The the moment you brought it up, I I got it. I was like, or, or the mu- or the mu- <laughs> or, like when they like a lot of the like Le- Lebo M and like oh there's like when they do like the music when Simba is like heading back to Pride Rock to save the day. That's a great track too. Yes. Oh, and I'm probably going to listen to it after we record, honestly. <laughs> I, might, I might just end up watching Lion King after this. It's just I'm like, damn. Damn. So I think we should talk about some of the characters. We did talk about Mufasa. You have to talk about Mufasa because James Earl Jones, mm-hmm. uh, Darth Vader himself. Iconic. He's just iconic. I think he doesn't do, it's like a regal nature, but also like a warmth to that character, which is very, I feel very important. Mm-hmm. We got to talk about Jeremy Irons as Scar. What a great villain! What a great voice! My God, he's probably my favorite villain, my favorite Disney villain, if I'm being honest. Like just the voice, like like he's got such a sassiness and such a like a like a you know like way that he does things. It's just ah, uh, it's like he's deliciously evil. You know what I mean? He's like a mangy Bond villain, and it's beautiful <laughs> it's so good i i would love to see i would love to see jeremy irons as scar just like mr bond <laughs> oh mr bond i shall practice my curtsy curtsy <laughs> <laughs> hell yeah um, <laughs> make it happen you know what it's, it's it makes me think of uh on that note it makes me think of javier bardem from Skyfall yes, a little bit, yeah. kind of like the same thing. Yeah, I could, I could see that too. It was beautiful. Um, uh, Rowan Atkinson <laughs> as Best Zazu. Listen, it, he is like John Oliver said it too, so it's okay. 
he is the best Zazu. <laughs> like, like there is already a far superior Zazu. Not to say John Oliver wasn't good, because he's by far one of the best aspects of John Favreau's Lion King movie. But Rowan Atkinson, you know, we've talked about him before. He's amazing. Um, I, I, if I had to suggest anything, uh, go on YouTube, look up um, his skit where he like mimes playing the drums. It's fantastic. Um, but as Zazu, beautiful, beautifully done. <sighs> Um, you know, of course, like, like, like Simba is a fine character, fine, you know, fine enough, like main character type, you know, you know what Simba is. Simba's like, Simba's like the, the, the Moses, the Jesus, the, the Hamlet, whatever you want to like, sort of like the hero character that you want to put mm-hmm. in there. Rafi- one, of, uh, one of the few cool Matthew Broderick characters. I'll just say that. Yeah. Besides Ferris Bueller. Yeah. And then Rafiki, uh, Rafiki is a lot of fun as a character. Oh yeah! Design, oh yeah! You know, just just great stuff with that. Uh, Timon and Pumbaa. Timon and Pumbaa. I mean, listen. Oh yeah, <laughs> the icons of this movie, really. <laughs> I, I mean, they they are they are the they are the two dudes of Lion King. Let's just say that. <laughs> with with with, Sim, with, Sim, with Simba being being the Gifford, obviously. Of of course, Gimba G- Gimba Gimba. <laughs> <laughs> that just that just came out of nowhere. I'm sorry, Gimba. Gimba. But no, GIF GIF would definitely be uh would be uh Simba, but Gimba, either one. Gimba, Gimba. And then um <laughs> I would probably be Timon and you would probably be Pumba for being But honest. listen, like Nathan Lane, Ernie Sabella, like perfect. What a team. What a team. What a and team. And also also I think about the scene where like the Mr. Pig scene where like he's he's obviously quoted like the Mr. Tibbs like line and it's one of those like moments where they're making a reference but it works like even just as like a funny it's just a funny moment like clearly if you're like an adult taking your kid to see this movie back in like the 90s you probably recognize that but like even you're a kid you're just like oh my gosh this is getting intense the poopa poopa's gonna kick their ass oh man Puma's Puma's gonna take him down. But uh, Puma's gonna take him down. But I just love like the shot of like as Puma's beating them up. You see like Ed is just outside of there, just like what is going on? Like oh no, guys, what is happening? You okay? Uh, just uh, the hyenas are also just hy- hysterical. To, uh, uh, Whoopi, 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 Whoopi Goldberg, Whoopi Goldberg, Cheech Marin, um, and, Jim Cummings, yeah. <laughs> fantastic. Just fantastic! Just so so oh my much God. fun, so much fun. Oh man, I I still I still love Mufasa. Ooh, do it again, Mufasa. I was I was I was so waiting for you to go Mufasa that'd be like oh God, Joey, <laughs> do it again. <laughs> that would have been that would have been nice, uh, but. Also, there is one thing we have to talk about with this movie, outside of just the Shakespeare stuff, outside of the songs, the impact, the legacy. Mm-hmm. We got to bring up Kimba the White Lion. Yeah, um, we'll, we won't have to linger on it too much, but um, th- if you, in case you don't know this story, so in Japan there's a there's a an I think it's a series of, of mangas or it's an I know it's an anime or like a anime show or something it's called Kimba the White Lion and it came out I believe in the 80s and around that time well obviously no I mean like years later obviously uh Lion King came out and it caused a bit of a stir because 
I think anytime anyone comes out, and especially like big companies like Disney, or like when James Cameron did Avatar, and you know it's the biggest thing, and they claim it's like a wholly original project. Like the first thing you're gonna hear is like, "Oh, it's just this. It's not original." Like that'll be like the like we were talking about obviously earlier. Just like, "Oh, this is this is this. This isn't original." With Lion King, though, it it got a bit bad because at a point there there was a lot of similarities between this and Kimba the White Lion. And so it and just to put it just to put it on record, um, I've never I've never watched Kimba the White Lion. I've seen clips. I know Joey's seen clips, so we don't know the full extent of just how similar they are. But when you do look at Kimba again, the name Kimba is pretty similar as well. If you look at Kimba and you look at Simba, they are there are similarities there. Um, even just like the image of the lion cub next to his father sitting on like the edge of a cliff looking out at the horizon like that's in Lion King obviously and it's in Kimba um, but it was a it was a big deal but nothing really ever came of it because the company I, if I remember reading correctly at the time said you know you know are you guys gonna pursue legal action they're like they're Disney <laughs> And I also think too, like some, like so, yes, there's the aspect that Disney is like that big corporation, which is definitely a scary thing and definitely not a great thing. But also, also just to consider, like when you have animals in that kind of setting, there's gonna be some overlap. And they even admitted that, like we think, mm-hmm. like so, there's gonna be some different stories. Like there's gonna be some stories that are similar, and it's hard to avoid. But it's Kimba is one of those like probably one of the most famous cases of that because of how big Lion King became. You know, if Lion King, yeah, and if Lion King was like a was like a mid tier to lower success story, we wouldn't we wouldn't really be hearing about it. You know what I mean? No, we wouldn't even be doing an episode about it. No, but I think the other thing too is that Kimba, at least at the time, I mean, I don't know if it's still the case now, but um, Kimba was essentially like Pikachu in Japan. Like Pikachu is obviously an incredibly huge global icon really, but in Japan especially Pikachu is huge, you know, amongst that, you know, Pokémon and that whole franchise. Kimba was very much like that. You would go around Japan and you would see statues and and stickers and 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 signs and everything related to Kimba. Uh it was a massive deal. And so when this sort of like cultural icon essentially um is in Japan and then Disney, an American company, comes out and makes a movie that has some similarities. Obviously, people are going to take notice, especially people in Japan, I imagine. Mm-hmm. So, but again, just again, just to add context, I've never watched Kimba, nor is Joey, so we don't really have the full extent of whether or not anything was actually done. And to my knowledge, whenever Disney was asked about it, obviously they were like, we didn't know anything about it when we were making this. I think Matthew Broderick said once that he he thought he'd heard of Simba when he was given the script, but he wasn't sure. He, and he it, thought or, of he thought or thought Kimba. Kimba, yeah, yeah. So, other than that, that's the extent of like where that lies, obviously. But you know, it is what it is. You know, Lion King's still around. Kimba's still around. I I think. I imagine Kimba still. I mean, the, the 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 old work is still around. Yeah, I mean, there's there's tons of videos about the subject, and uh, now, to delve into it a lot more than we do, I think. So. Yeah, 
I think I think there was a Simpsons episode too where 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 it's just like avenge me Kimba. I mean uh, uh Simba. <laughs> Simba. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Uh now Disney owns them. And now Disney owns that. So it's like <laughs> it, it just wow. it's just like it's the ultimate <laughs> ultimate just joke. What a joke. Oh man. But regardless at the end of the day Lion King was never going to be a wholly original thing. Most things are never wholly original things. As we, this whole episode is about Shakespeare adaptations. You know, it's all about, or, you know, and Simba, had, like, uh, Lion King has other influences too, but, like, primarily we're talking about Shakespeare, right? The sort of universality of these themes of life and death, of, in the case of Macbeth, ambition and power and how it corrupts you. Like, I was thinking about this a little bit, and obviously just watching some videos about it. The The most famous quote from Hamlet, I think, applies really well to, to Lion King. You know, to be or not to be, that is the question. Whether tis nobler in the minds to suffer the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune, or to take arm against a sea of trouble, and by opposing end them, to die to sleep no more. I mean, that's, that's a pretty apt way to describe Simba's struggle through the movie. Like, to be king or to not be king? Should I stay here and hang out with Timon and Pumbaa? Or should I actually, you know, take my destiny and be the king and save my save my pride? Save all that, so. Yeah, and I also think, too, like, just the, the wide reach of Shakespeare. We have a, a, an adaptation of, of this made in the, in the late 50s, mid, mid to late 50s, by Kurosawa, a Japanese filmmaker, you know, set in feudal Japan, and we have this animated gargantuan Disney hit from the mid-90s at their peak, you know. So it just shows you just that, uh, I'm going to read this quote from Ben Johnson, which I'm sure if you're, you've studied Shakespeare, you've heard this quote, that Shakespeare is not of an age, but for all time. That is, that is a very apt, very apt uh, quote, actually. And there's also my way of saying, no, we will not discuss Anonymous on this show. <laughs> oh really damn i was so excited to to talk about another roland emmerich movie (laughs) (laughs) folks uh, for the the work of of reese fons we are going to discuss anonymous and the amazing spider-man and then uh that'll be my last episode i will agree to do that episode just because i'm nice like that but i will leave directly after. <laughs> it's like you're putting your two weeks in it's like i'm sorry joey i'm gonna have to give you my here you go it's just a really nicely worded note um <laughs> dear joseph DeAngelis, thank you for allowing me to be on this show but your last suggestion was stupid i hate you thank you but Love like Richard. it's a, it's a nice it's a nicely it's a nicely written note but in, but you spell stupid with two o's to emphasize a point <laughs> Yes, um, and I put I put googly eyes on them just to be silly. Yes, so folks, what are your favorite like Shakespeare ad- adaptation, whether conventional or not? Please let us know. Facebook, Instagram, <clears throat> sorry, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're both on Letterbox. We have YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. We're you know we're working on new content for that. I'm thinking about putting up a new um uh should be a new episode of Dude Two's pickups uh soon ish i have an idea possibly in the works i just have to finish watching a particular movie franchise i don't want to say what exactly because i don't want to spoil it but 
I'm getting through it, so uh, he is. I must getting... be wanting to do this video, so expect it. <laughs> he, he's 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 working hard, guys. Working hard. All right, uh, that about wraps it up. <laughs> Check us out next week. Have a good night, everyone. Thank you for listening to Two Dudes, One Double Feature. Please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. Special shout-out, as always, to John and Kenny Armstrong. You both are so great. Thank you for the music that you make. And, of course, a hint for next week's double feature. It is an entire episode dedicated to the man, the myth, the legend, Mr. Ray Harryhausen. Stay tuned.